Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series called Prayer, Power, and Wisdom, and we hope that this blesses you. If you're looking for more information, check us out at newriverchurch.org. Let's jump in with our memory verse. We're memorizing Proverbs 11, 11 together. So let's say it together a couple times. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. One more time. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Proverbs 11, 11. Yep. Um, so I'm going to do a quick overview of what we've covered so far, what Doug has shared about power, prayer, and wisdom. Um, and then we'll get into an illustration that I love that the Navigators has taught me about the Christian life. We'll read about a man whose life was changed by prayer. And then we'll talk about the, the one obstacle that really prevents us from praying. Um, so that's where we're going this morning. Start with an overview. So um, the first week in this series was the power of focus. And the key verse was Judges 21:25, which was that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so Doug talked about how the, the focus is not my wisdom, but God's. The focus is not my power, but God's. And he made a point that uh, we need to focus on who our enemy is and who our enemy is not. Our enemy is not the people around us. Which then flowed into the next sermon, the power of compassion. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 9, 35 to 37, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Go, therefore, and pray to the Lord of the harvest um, that he would send out laborers into his harvest field. And so the heart of compassion that Jesus has is for the people, um, not against the people. Um, and his solution to all the brokenness around was to go pray. Go pray about it. Go be in the presence of God. And then last week we talked about the power of wisdom, which is in 2 Samuel 20 and Ecclesiastes 9. So it was the story of one act of wisdom that saved a whole city, prevented innocent bloodshed, prevented conflict, that one wise woman saved a whole city. And we get wisdom from being in the presence of God. That's where we go. And so this week, we're talking about the power of prayer because what pushes us into the presence of God? Prayer. So we're going to see today that prayer makes us aware of the reality of God's presence, which transforms us from the inside out. That prayer makes us aware of the reality of God's presence, which transforms us from the inside out. So we're going to start with an illustration that the Navigators, um, we're going to walk through it step by step on the slides. Um, the Navigators has, it's called the wheel, and it really just puts the, <laughs> Steve, I see the nod, <laughs> Steve is with the Navigators, he knows. Um, it really puts the Christian life into a nice picture, a nice context. So, does anyone recognize this? Looks like a wheel, yeah. <laughs> a circle. This is you, and this is me. Before Jesus, we're an empty soul. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says that before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to do anything productive, unable to do anything good. And we needed something to fill this empty hole, this empty circle. And so when we believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus moves in. He takes residence. So Christ becomes the center. Um, if we want to have the next slide. 
and Galatians 2, is that big enough? Okay, you can kind of see it. Um, Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Once Christ enters our life, it's him that's doing the work. It's him that is the power source. And if you think of the hub of a tire, the tire part isn't connected to any power source and can't do anything by itself until it is hubbed onto a car. Um, So Christ is the power source of the Christian life. Without him, we can do nothing. Um, And so then the life that is lived out is obedience um, to Christ, which is the next slide. Um, And John 14, 21 says that whoever has my word and keeps it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The life lived by faith out of the power source of Christ is obedience. Obedience is God's love language. John 14, 21, he will be loved by my Father. Um, That is the the interaction we have with God, is obeying his word. And so the, the power source of Jesus connected to an external life of obedience you need things to connect the t- to the hub, right? And so God gives us four very crucial elements to connect the power source of Christ to our outer life. The first one is the word. Second um, Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, "All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Good works are obedience to Christ lived out of a life of faith. And so um, the word of God is completely sufficient to connect the power source of Jesus to what we need to do to live out obedience. It gives us the steps. God is so gracious to tell us exactly what we need to do. He doesn't leave us guessing. It's in his word. So then our response to God, which we're going to be talking about today, is prayer. In John 15, 7, Jesus says, if if my words abide in you, uh, if you abide in my words and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so prayer connects us back to the word. It's the response that we have to God. So these vertical spokes of the wheel is us and God. The word and prayer, constant back and forth. The best times that I have in communion with God are when both elements of word and prayer are combined. Um, Reading a verse, praying back to God how how I think about it or what questions I have. And then him responding with the next verse and sometimes answering my questions. Um... So then we have this horizontal plane. There's the plane with God, but then we have these things called people around us that a lot of times, <laughs> yeah, I say that ministry would be easier if it weren't for the people. Um, but we have two classes, two, two spheres, and the first is with other believers, which is called fellowship. So Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells us how we ought to interact with each other. Uh, says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming back. We sang it this morning, come Lord Jesus. So we encourage each other to obedience. We encourage each other to the word. We encourage each other to remembering who we are that is no longer us who lives, but it's Christ in us. So then we have interactions with believers. We have interactions with those who don't yet follow Jesus, which is called witnessing or evangelism. Um, Romans 1.16 says that, um, oh no. <laughs> Romans 1.16, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We believe that Jesus is the center as our salvation 
is powerful to transform. And so we share that with the people who don't yet know Jesus. We want them to know. So this wheel is also called the obedient Christian in action. And when you see a tire just stagnant, you can see all of the pieces, right? But when it's going, you can only see the hub. And that is the obedient Christian in action. We see Jesus. When the disciplines of word, prayer, fellowship, and evangelism are in place and healthy, the world sees Jesus, and that's the goal, because it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So that's the, cont- the context for prayer in the Christian life. This is the Christian life. Um, yep, I'm going to move on. There's more I could say. But um, when you get in the presence of God in prayer, you begin to adopt the heart of God. Doug said that a couple weeks ago in The Power of Compassion. Um, and that, that is exactly what prayer is for, to adopt the heart of God that we would be changed through it. So we're going to read a story about a man who was changed in the presence of God. So if you want to, go to Isaiah 6 with me. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Can you just like imagine this scene? Just like you walk into this room, and the throne is so big. The king is so big that the train of his robe just like fills everything. There's smoke everywhere. There's these weird angel things with six wings. Who has ever seen that? They're yelling to each other that God is holy so much so that everything's shaking. I can imagine that Isaiah was a little overstimulated. I would definitely be overwhelmed with the shouting and the smoke and the robe. But what, what is Isaiah's response to that? He sees this king He sees everything around the king that's just pointing to his throne. And his first response is, I don't belong here. I am not holy enough to be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. Which is interesting to me that that's what he points out. But then God is so gracious. His angel comes and purifies the exact thing that Isaiah was concerned about touches a hot coal to his lips, makes him acceptable to be in his presence. God wants Isaiah there. God invited Isaiah there and made it possible for him to be there. And can you imagine with me, just like, I think about my prayer life, and sometimes I I walk into this throne room where God is having this eternal conversation with himself and his angels and Father, Son, Spirit. They're already talking And I walk in and I have 
I have my agenda. God, here's the things I want us to talk about today. I want this, this, this. I want to see you move in these ways. And then I set it down and I leave. What, do, what would Isaiah miss out on? What do I miss out on? I miss out on seeing the king. I miss out on re- realizing that God's in front of me. And I miss out on the cleansing that God wants to give. And that's not a knock on prayer lists. I have plenty of my own. Prayer lists remind me to care for people because I am really forgetful. Um, prayer lists are good. But what is, what is the heart of prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? Ecclesiastes 5.1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know that they are doing evil. Maybe it feels a little harsh to call prayerless evil. <laughs> Maybe it feels a little harsh to call myself a fool when I just come spout off in the presence of God. But look at, look at the, to draw near to listen is better. God already is sovereign. God already is eternal. God already has plans for this world. And if I just come listen, my heart will be tuned. My eyes will be open to see what God is already doing, what his plans are. And I will learn from God. And then I walk into this throne room. I am ushered in by the robe, pushing me in to the presence of God. I... I see God talking amongst himself, I'm listening, and pretty soon he comes over and says, come, come sit, come join. And he invites me to speak, and he said, didn't you have a list when you walked in here? Once my heart is tuned to his, and I, I look at my list and I'm like, yeah, actually, a lot of these things are already taken care of, you're already, you're already on it, I don't need to worry about that. But actually, this one right here, I think I still wanna talk about that. And he listens. And he responds, and we talk. And then I look down my list a little further, skipping a few that he's already talked about. And I say, what about this one? I really, I really think we ought to do something about this. Um, God invites us to speak. And prayer, in its very essence, this interaction of like the eternal creator lending us his ear, is a proclamation of the gospel. Isaiah needed to have a cold touch to his lips which is really painful if you ask me, that sounds terrible. But Jesus, by taking his place in our heart, in the wheel, remember Christ the center, makes us acceptable to be in this. So anytime we enter into prayer, we're proclaiming the gospel that God has made us acceptable to talk with him. So then, Isaiah takes this time seeing God, listening to God, receiving the cleansing of God, And he hears the Lord in his conversation saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So after listening and being tuned to the heart of God, Isaiah gets his instructions. Prayer changes us to the point of action where we hear what God is doing, we see what God's power is already capable of, and then when we look out in the world, we'll be like, I know that God has a thing that matches this need. I can take it there. So prayer opens our eyes to the opportunities that already exist around us. To obey, to do the good works, to act into a hurting world. We see what needs done with the eyes and the ears that we gain from being God's presence. Richard J. Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says that to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we'll abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. 
The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. To pray is to change. And what does he say is the unwilling to change? What is the one thing that keeps us from praying this way? What keeps us from coming into the presence of God and listening first? And it's a lack of humility. And I'll tell you why. The very act of prayer submits to the universal reality that someone else is God and I am not. The very act of praying admits that I am powerless and someone else has power. And it communicates that I'm clueless and I need help. And so if I am unwilling to admit those things, I will never pray. If I think I can do it on my own, if I think I have to do it on my own, I will never pray. And so there are three ways that this lack of humility can manifest. There's three examples in the Bible. Um, And this isn't limited to these three. There's lots of other ways. But the first one is found in Matthew 6, and it's the desire to be impressive to others. So Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says that when you pray, you must, must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. So I went to a private Christian high school, and at this school, it was sometimes like a last-ditch effort, like some parents sent their kids like, who were dealing drugs in school. Um, and oftentimes, before class, we would pray. And so I don't know why, but the drug dealer of my class often got chosen to pray. <laughs> so he got really good at praying, <laughs> like really good at it. I don't know if it was very legit. I don't know his heart, obviously. But he was sure impressive to other people. He sounded really good. And he got praise. By doing that, we're showboating. We're getting the praise of other people. We are setting ourselves up on the throne of God to be worshipped. That's not prayer. The second one is uh, attempting to earn God's ear or not believing his relational love. So when prayer is a proclamation of the gospel, if I don't believe that I have God's love already, I won't pray. I will... um, It continues in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I feel like sometimes when I pray, I need to cover absolutely everything so that maybe something will happen. I feel like I need to pray over and over so that it'll stick. Like maybe God will finally hear it on the sixth time I pray it or like the eighth time. But do I believe that God loves me? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that he wants to hear you? Do you believe that he already knows? Because he knows you and he loves you. The third way that this lack of humility can manifest is believing we're doing God a favor. So Luke 18, 9 to 14, talks, Jesus talks about the, a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector who are both in the temple And the Pharisee is praying, thank you, God, that I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. And he's going on and on about how good he is. And the tax collector is over in the corner saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And I don't see this very often in other people. But I know it exists because I've had this heart posture in myself that God can't do anything unless I'm praying about it. That, almost like I'm giving God permission to do things, 
rather than to stop and listen and ask what he's doing, what he wants to do. So if we're praying in any of these ways, it's not prayer. It's self-focused, not God-focused, not worship. So how, how do we do this? How do we pray in this way? How do we listen? What are we listening for? Do we just like sit in the quiet and empty our mind and hope that something happens? If we remember the wheel, the word spoke, God has already spoken in here. He keeps speaking in here. If we want to hear his voice, if we're, especially if we're brand new at praying or brand new at the Christian life and we don't really know what we're listening for, the word of God gives the spirit in us vocabulary. He speaks to us this way. And so if we want to get really practical for a second, um, there's this, this illustration or this like, I don't know what to call it. But anyway, it's called the seven-minute prayer sandwich. So if you ever want to learn like, or start um, interacting with God, learning to pray, learning to read the word, or even if you've been doing it for a while and you just want to try something different, you can do this. Um, you take the first couple minutes to pray. If you've never prayed before, my favorite thing to do is to just be like, hey, God, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> I have heard that this is real. And you just tell him about your doubts and your fears and your feelings. If you have prayed before, you just take a second and look at him on his throne. Praise him for who he already said he is. Praise him for what he's already done. And then you take four to five minutes to just read. I like to read a psalm because it's usually pretty short and easy. And just reflect. Or you read a few verses over and over. And then you take a second to pray back. Respond to God. What you read. If there's any confusions. If you feel like there's any step he's asking you to take. You respond. So no matter, um, the band can come up at this point, um, but no matter where you are on the spectrum of prayer, if you're a seasoned veteran, if you have been doing it for a long time, if you love prayer, even if you haven't been doing it for a long time, but prayer is just a way that you really feel God's presence, or if you're, for the first time, just like stepping your toes into church, stepping your toes into who is, who is God, what do we do? God is inviting you into his own heart. He's inviting you into the conversation that he's been having for all of eternity. He wants to hear you, and he wants you to hear him, to draw near to listen. So how will we respond? Will we respond in fear and let that keep us from coming in because I don't believe that God actually wants to hear me? Or are we going to believe what he says that he does? Um, are we going to respond with, I don't, I don't need that. I can do it myself. I have to do it myself. Or will we respond with humility, saying, God, you're right. I need you. I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my eyes. I need your help. So um, we'll take some time with this last song to just come up and pray and respond with whatever it is. Whatever your feelings are, God wants to know, and he wants to meet you there, and he wants to help. So, um, yeah, I'll pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have made it possible. You have cleansed our unclean lips. We don't have to be afraid of entering your throne room. And in fact, you invite us joyfully. So would our hearts respond just as joyfully? And would you help eradicate the things that make it hard for us? Would you give us answers to our fears, to our doubts? Would you be God and show us that we are not? Yeah, in your name, Jesus.
Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.